Uh, Those of you here in person, enjoy being in the back. Those of you online, uh, enjoy our kids' lesson online as well. Uh, For everybody else, I'd encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, We're just going to be reading a few verses from Matthew chapter 9, but they are important ones as we uh, think about our topic over the past couple weeks. Um, As you're turning, uh, many of you know we've been looking at this idea of the church and what it means to be the church, especially in our culture and our world today. One of the things that you discover really quickly is throughout the centuries, uh, there have been seasons and times uh, where the church has come under all sorts of threats and difficulties. Um, Sometimes those threats come in the form of outright persecution, and we've seen instances of that all throughout Uh, the history of our faith, and there's even places in our uh, world today where what we're doing here this morning is illegal, and those that gather uh, can be persecuted because of it. Sometimes those threats come in different forms. Sometimes those threats are more cultural, and that comes when the church and the gospel becomes sort of marginalized and not thought of in terms of being reasonable in the culture that is around us. And so, the importance of the church gets eroded away through processes of secularization. And sometimes those threats come in other forms, and we've talked about this already, but some people believe that we're dealing with that right now and that some of the the lasting effects of this COVID-19 pandemic um, will have definite impacts on the church. In fact, some people think that anywhere from upwards to 40% of churches will not make it Uh, will close their doors through the COVID pandemic. And so the church has always lived under difficult forms of threats, and it really always will live with these threats up until Jesus returns at the end of all things. In fact, one of the things you have to consider is if the church is not facing any pressure, if the church isn't facing sort of any opposition or any sort of threat, one has to wonder if we've lost an accurate picture of what the church really is supposed to be, what it truly is. And so that's why we've been preaching about this over the past couple weeks. We've been preaching about what it means to be a church according to God's design. And the the illustration we've used is a shopping list. If God were to write a shopping list about the church, what would he include on that shopping list? What are God's priorities for this thing that we call the church, and how do we ensure that God's priorities are the same as our priorities as a church? And so what we've done is we've turned to the scriptures to answer that question. If you've been with us, you'll know that we've uh, talked about how the church is to be about the gospel. It's the gospel is the main thing that informs both the message and the method of what we do as a church. We've looked at how the church is called to do ordinary things, the ordinary things of preaching God's word and the administering of the sacraments, and that that God uses these ordinary things uh, to do really extraordinary things in uh, people's lives and in our culture. We looked a couple weeks ago what it means for the church to advocate for justice and that we're called to advocate for justice, but the church does that in a different way in which the world around us advocates for such things. And if you're with us last week, we looked at how the church's job is to foster community, about how God desired this faith and Christianity uh, to not be a lone ranger faith or a lone ranger Christianity, but to be a faith that's practiced within the context of community. 
And so each one of these things are things that God intends for the church. And uh, it's what we are to be about as his church as well. This morning, what I want us to look at is the church's concern for the lost. And to look at that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 uh, to 38, just a few verses uh, in the gospel. So uh, you can follow along in your copy of God's word, uh, or you can follow along on the screens or in the bulletins as well. Uh, Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that it's, that it's powerful, that it shapes us into who we are. Thanks for this gift of worship where we get to engage all of our senses in, um, in, in the worship of you and in the magnifying of your name, the recentering of our hearts on what is good and what is true. Be with us now as we look at your word, as we contemplate what it means to be a church, uh, to live in our culture and our world around us. Uh, help us to understand what it means for us as your people uh, to reach out and to love the lost who are around us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Before I get to the passage, what I want us to do is do a little exercise, a little thought exercise, just as you're sitting here. So you have to sort of engage your minds a little bit in this exercise. And what I want you to do is just take a moment uh, to think about, to reflect on all of the different people that you interact with every single day. All those people, all of those faces. Of course, we interact with our own families because we live with them. Uh, sometimes we wish we interacted with them a little bit less because they're just always there. But our families are people that we interact with. Uh, maybe some of you have the habit of going to Starbucks every morning. And so every morning at 7 o'clock, you roll into Starbucks and there's a couple of baristas that are working behind the counter. Uh, they've gotten to know you and you've gotten to know over the years because that's just your life habit. And then, of course, many of us, we either go to work, we go to school, we go to places like that. We interact with all sorts of people, uh, mostly in person, but even sometimes we're doing that uh, online as well. And maybe you are a part of a club or some sort of social league or after work, it's your habit to visit the happy hour at the local bar or the local restaurant. And so we interact with all sorts of people every single day. And when I was writing this, even when I was writing this sermon, I sat down, I did this exercise for myself, and I thought, what are all the different places that I go to and the people I interact with every day? And to my surprise, I discovered I interact with about 75 different people every single day, 75 people. And I'm willing to bet that that number is pretty similar, if not more so, for even you as well. We interact with a lot of people every single day. So think about the, all those people. Think about their faces just in your mind, and then couple those faces with a couple of facts. Couple those faces with the fact or the reality of eternity that we believe as a part of our faith. Because the scriptures tell us that every single person, really at the end of the day, is an eternal being. 
One of the things that we believe is that when we die, our soul or our spirit uh, will live on in one of two realities. We will either enjoy the bliss of heaven in the presence of God, our Savior, or we will suffer in the punishment of a hell that we justly deserve because of our sins. And so think about all those people that you interact with and eat, know that each one of those folks are destined inevitably for one of those two realities, every single person you interact with. And so couple those faces with the reality of eternity and now couple those faces with the, the understanding or the reality of the sovereignty and the control of God. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that you have a family because that's where God wants you to be. You're in the family you are in because of God's design. When you go to work, you go because that's a part of God's sovereign plan and purposes for you. Every interaction you have with every single day, whether it's a barista, whether it's a bartender, a waitress, a cashier, a coworker, a student, every single one of those relationships is by divine appointment according to the sovereignty of God. And God has put you there in that place with those people to be a light for the gospel. So again, think about all those faces. Think intentionally about them and imagine those faces in light of the sovereignty of God and the reality of eternity. So as you think about that, the question becomes, well, what are we called to do? As God's people, as a church, what are we called to do? Well, I think the scriptures are clear that we are called as God's children to reach out to the lost. Simply put, we're called to reach out to the lost. We're called not to simply mindlessly go about our day with our heads down or our heads in the sand. We are called to live intentionally for the kingdom of God wherever he has placed us. And what that means is that you and I, we go nowhere by accident. We go nowhere. Nothing happens to us every single day by accident. We go nowhere by accident. Everything is a part of God's plan and purpose. And so as we look at this, I want us to consider Jesus, our Savior. I want us to consider Jesus' example. And as we look at this passage, I think we can see three things. We can see Jesus' perspective when it comes to the lost. We see Jesus' posture. And then finally, we see his purpose when it comes to reaching the lost around him. And I think we will find that he calls us to a similar pattern as his church. So let's start by looking at Jesus's perspective on the lost who were around him and look again at verse 36 where it says this. When he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep who were without a shepherd. Now think about what this says about Jesus's perspective. When he looked around at the people around him, he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now first, think about what that doesn't say. As Jesus looked at the crowd, it doesn't say that he saw them to be immoral and decadent. It doesn't say that he saw them to be impure and arrogant. It doesn't say that he saw them to be unethical and oppositional. Instead, it says that he saw that they were help, harassed and helpless. Now, all of those other things may be very true 
about the people that Jesus saw and interacted with. But what Jesus did is he saw behind it all. And he saw that behind all those things, at the heart of it, they were harassed and they were helpless. You see, what often happens is the church gets really good at condemning the world around it from its sort of ivory tower. We become quick to judge from our own sort of perceived position of spiritual superiority. And all we want to do is sort of bully people into some sort of conversion to prove to them that we are right about things and that they are wrong about things. But Jesus was different. Jesus saw behind all of it. And he saw that every soul apart from Christ at the end of the day is tortured. I think that's what these words get at. They were helpless. They were harassed. They were tortured apart from a life-giving relationship with him. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't lead with condemnation. He doesn't lead with any sort of arrogance. He sees with a true perspective. And so what he does is he leads with compassion. He saw that they were harassed and helpless. So he leads with compassion. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, it tells us that when Jesus approached Jerusalem, I imagine he's on a high place looking over the city. When Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept over it. He wept over it with compassion over a city that was full of lost sheep. And so now go back to our thought exercise and imagine those people whom God has put in your life. Sure, they may be very tough. Uh, They might be arrogant. They might even be oppositional. They might have all those things as a shell on their exterior. But deep down, they go through life tortured. They go through life harassed and helpless because they don't know the good shepherd. So the question becomes, do you see as Jesus does when you look at the world around you? Do you see with the eyes of compassion? Do you recognize that apart from God's grace, you would be just as intolerable as those people who are around you? Do you realize that apart from God's grace, you would be just as harassed and helpless as they are? See, this is Jesus' perspective, and I believe it ought to be his church's perspective as well when they think about the world that is around us. So we look at Jesus' perspective. Next, look at his posture. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and village, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, there's a lot in that verse, and there's a lot we could talk about. But the operative term or the word I want us to really focus on is the word went that's in that verse. Jesus went. In fact, the Greek, a more literal translation was Jesus went about to all of the cities and to all of the villages. Jesus went. Now, I think as a church, we can sometimes get this a little off as well. And the way we get this a little off takes this form. We sometimes fall into the trap of thinking this, that if we could simply have a really compelling music as a church and a really electric preacher who's got compelling preaching, and if we get those two things dialed in really well and we open the doors, then the people are just going to come flooding in. They're just going to come flooding in the doors. We imagine that maybe if we just made the service a little more palatable, 
to the world around us. Or maybe we could design things like a coffee shop and we could have our own little barista. Or, or the worship takes the form of a rock concert and uh, there's all sorts of cool music. And then as long as we dial those things in and we open the doors, then all of a sudden the lost is gonna come flooding into our church. Now I will say sometimes that happens. Sometimes God does work through those means and brings people to faith. But generally, what you discover is that strategy is only effective in reaching people that are already Christians and not necessarily effective in reaching people that aren't. And so what's the point of all this? Well, the point of all this is if you really want to reach the lost, you need to go to them, right? Jesus went. He went throughout all the cities and all the villages, Now, friends, I realize that as you hear that, we all process that in sort of different ways because some of us are very introverted and some of us are very extroverted. Uh, Some of you I know are more social and others of you feel much more comfortable in antisocial situations. Uh, Some of you thrive in crowds and being around people and others of you resist crowds. In fact, COVID's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to you because you now resist crowds. But I think regardless of the way we tend to be wired, I think God, no matter who we are, always calls us to go. To go, therefore, and to make disciples. Uh, Michael Green did a study of the first Christians in the book of Acts and the first Christians after uh, the the sort of a resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and, and how incredibly they shaped the world around them. And he says part of it's because they all realized that they were all called to be informal missionaries. And he writes this. He said, Christian lay people, not trained pastors or evangelists, but Christian lay people carried the mission of the church not through formal preaching, but informal conversations in houses and in wine shops, on walks and around market stalls. They did it naturally and they did it enthusiastically. In fact, Tim Keller picked up on this as well, and he said that people weren't converted to Christ through simple information transfer of the gospel, but it was simple friendships that became the main carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that was true of the first century, but I think it's true of every century as well, and certainly true of our culture today. Now, I know that COVID has put a wrench in a lot of these things. Um, It's made it very hard for us to relate to people and be in relationship and go out for drinks and coffee and all these sorts of things. But one day, all of this will be behind us. And I think what we need to be reminded of is that God calls us to be the most intentionally and relationally engaged people we know, to be intentional about the relationships and the people that God has put us put in our path. And I use those words uh, purposefully because it does take time and it does take intentionality. Because sometimes when it comes to these friendships and these relationships, sometimes we don't see the fruit of those friendships and relationships for years. Sometimes it takes eight, sometimes it takes nine, sometimes it takes 10 years to see the fruit of those relationships. Sometimes you just have to wait around for the crisis or something to happen in those relationships, but we need to be there 
And we need to be intentional in those relationships. It will certainly be costly, certainly. It will cost and infringe upon your time. It will cost and infringe upon your money. It will certainly cost and infringe upon your emotional capacity. But friends, this is God's plan to reach the lost who are around us. We cannot expect the lost to just show up here on a Sunday morning. God calls us to go. And Jesus is our example of that. And so we see his perspective, we see his posture, and now lastly what I want us to see is Jesus' purposes in all of this as well. We can look at verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now again, there's a lot of things that are being said here and a couple of quick things that I want us to see. The first is is what Jesus says here, that the harvest is plentiful. Now I have to be honest, every time I've read that, that's always been a shocker to me. Because when I go out and I interact in this world, it doesn't feel like the harvest is plentiful. And so that's always been such a surprise to me. But what Jesus is saying here is that the problem isn't necessarily that there isn't people out there who are hungry and thirsty for the message of the gospel. Instead, the problem is a lack of laborers who are willing to go out into the fields. And so as Jesus says here, the harvest is plentiful. The second thing I want us to note is that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And this is such a freeing thing to remember. Because I know my own heart, and I'm sure you've felt this way before, sometimes we can get lost into thinking that it's all up to us, that it's all up to us to reach the lost. And when we get sort of stuck in this, we think that if we just had the right words, or we were just a little better at persuasion, or if we just sort of understood our theology a little better, or had better answers to the problem of evil and the ultimate questions of life, if we just had all those things, then everything would happen miraculously for us. But what this reminds us is that at the end of the day, it isn't really up to us. It isn't up to us to change someone's heart. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And what that means is that Jesus is the one who calls people out of darkness and into light. Jesus is the one who pours grace into the lives of sinners like you and like me. He is the one who through faith offers new life to those people who are perishing. He's the one who gave of himself on the cross, covering our sin and our shame. He is the one who drew us, you and I, to himself. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And so what I think he does is I think he simply calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be in the right place when the magic of the gospel takes root in someone's heart. So I think that's something we see here. And then finally, what I want us to see very quickly is this. He calls us to pray. That's the sort of thing that he's asking here. He calls us to pray. Every Wednesday, y'all know we have this Wednesday morning prayer time. And I I say it all the time. It's one of my favorite hours of the week where uh, folks from the church get together and we pray for all sorts of things. 
But one of the things that we do every Wednesday is we have a prayer list that we share. And on that prayer list, there's a large section of of people that we pray would essentially find Jesus. Um, People that God puts in our path that we rub shoulders with day in and day out who don't know the life-giving message of the gospel. And so what we do every Wednesday is we just pray for these people that God puts in our path. We pray that God would move in their hearts to draw them to himself. And guess what? God has answered those prayers over the years. So he wants us to pray for laborers and he wants us to pray for people. And so friends, my challenge to you this week is this, not a big fancy challenge, not something that uh, might even get you out of your comfort zone, but here's my challenge. This week, pray for someone that you regularly interact with every week. Of course, it might be intimidating for you to share the gospel with them, so just pray for them. Just try to pray intentionally for them this week. Pray that maybe the conversations with them would sort of be drawn to a spiritual place, right? That maybe the, 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 the depth or the volume of your conversation just might be turned up a tick. Pray that God would give you the eyes to see them just as he does, with eyes of compassion. And so just pray and watch God work in the lives of that person. You see, friends, when it comes to reaching the lost, I think sometimes all God does is he asks us to pray, to be present, and to watch him go to work in someone's heart and in their lives. Sometimes all we need to do is pray and be willing and then trust God to do the rest when it comes to the lost. And so, friends, the church is to be about a lot of things. It's to be about the gospel. It's to be about the word, the sacraments, the sense of community. But don't miss that God has called each and every one of us. He's put us in this world to be on mission. It certainly doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be slick. It doesn't have to be some big program that uh, we unfold in all sorts of stages and purposes. It simply means that we have Jesus's perspective, we have his posture, and we have his purpose when it comes to reaching the lost around us. Jesus saw the crowds. He had a heart of compassion. He went out to them And he calls you and I to do the same thing. Let's pray.